Everybody knows that tonight is the yard site, Reb the great Tana. Perhaps not everybody knows that it's also another very significant yard site, and that's of the Ramah. The Ramah of Meisha Isserlis, whose yard site is on Lag Baimer as well. He lived in the 1500s, and he was also not only great Benigla, but also Bataris Hanistar. He wrote many Svarim on Kabbalah, very difficult to understand. And the Ramah, it's interesting, just like people make pilgrimages to Meiron to celebrate the Yartzeit of Shemayechai, many people before the war, maybe even today, go to Krakow, where the Ramah was the Rav, and where he's buried, and they would go and daven there and make chasnas there on Lag Baimer. There were trains that were running to Krakow on Lag Baimer, and the government knew how many people, how many Jews wanted to come to the Kever. So they made special deals with people. They had a two-for-one special to get to Meiron because they understood, they recognized that the Yidden were being magnetically drawn to the Kever of the Ramah. I'd like to speak a little bit about the Ramah this evening and take a, a very important lesson from his life for our lives. Just a little background about the Ramah. His father, Rabbi Yisrael Isserlis, was a textile merchant. He had a store that he sold rolls and rolls and reams of fabric materials and he was very poor. And one Arab Shabbos comes into a store, a very big gavir, a big merchant, who was interested in making a very large purchase. And he was looking at the different types of textures and textiles and fabrics, patterns. And the hour was getting late and the Ramaz father had a Kabbalah not to do business after Chatzais on Arab Shabbos close the store midday, come what may, close your shop, and then get ready for Shabbos. But this Gevir, this very wealthy baron, came in and he was taking his time. He was being very selective and he was looking at different things. He wanted to see everything. And he was putting aside what he needed. And the Ramaz father was getting a little bit nervous because it was getting very close to Chatzai Sayyim. And he kept on saying, I'm just warning you that at Chatzais, at midday, we close our store, so if you want to make any purchases, you should do it sooner than later. And the, this baron just sort of waved him off. Five minutes before Chatzais Hayyim again, Rabbi Yisrael goes over to him and says, I'm sorry, you have to make your purchase now, or we're going to have to close the store, you're going to have to come back next week. The baron got so angry that he left all of the materials, all the fabrics, tens of thousands of dollars worth of business, and he left the store, and he stormed out in a huff and a puff, and that was the end of the story. But Bisral, you'd think, would be very upset. He needed this money to survive, to feed his wife, to feed his family, but he was happy, because he was Meiser Nefesh for Shabbos, for Kedushas HaShabbos. 
And this created a very big tumult in Shamayim. And they were clamoring, how are we going to reward this Rabbi Israel who gave up so much L'Kavit Shabbos Kaidesh? And they, they decided that the greatest matana that they could give to him and his Rebetzin was to give them a son who would be born that would illuminate the world of Taira just like Kedusha Shabbos illuminates the world. And that year, Ramesha was born and he went on, as was promised, to become one of the greatest Paiskim of Klai Yisrael's history. See, Rabbi Yisrael Karay lived in Svas in the 1500s and he wrote the great Shulchan Aruch that we live by. And the Ramah decided that instead of writing his own Shulchan Aruch for Ashkenazim, he would do something very different. And he would actually make glosses, make Haggais on the Mechaber Shulchan Aruch, which is primarily Svardisha Paiskim, and it was based on three great Rishainim, every Psak in the in the Mechaber is based on the rive of three great Rishainim. The Ramah felt that this was not going to serve Ashkenazim well, but yet he didn't want to write his own book for Ashkenazim. So what he did was he just added what he called the Mahab, the tablecloth, to cover the Shulchan Aruch, to cover the table that was set by the great Mechaber. He was going to add a tablecloth to the table, and that was the, his glosses that every time the Mechaber writes something that the Ashkenazim would argue with, he put in his Haggah, and that was where it would remain in the Shulchan Aruch. And this created a beautiful amalgamation of halacha for Klal Yisrael, so that Sardim and Ashkenazim together are able to learn from the same Sefer, understand the other Minhagim, and understand how to come to halacha l'maysa from both the Mechaber and the Ramah. Rav Hutner writes in one of his letters, he describes the great creation of the Shulchan Aruch as we have it. And he says that there were two G'daylem, one lived in Sfas and one lived in Krakow, from two parts of the universe. And they together formed the Shulchan Aruch. The Mechaber wrote the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah, he says, added the Mapa, but this tablecloth became subsumed into the table. That was the Lushan of, of Rav Hutner with his poetic pen. The mappa didn't be, stay separate from the table. The mappa became part and parcel of the table. And this is the table, he says, that Klal Yisrael feasts from. And this is very important. In good times and in bad times, during times of simchas and during times of evel, during happy days, during sad days, and everything in between, this is the table from which Klai Yisrael eat from. And that's true, we go back to this table over and over again, everything that we want to know, from waking up in the morning to going to sleep at night, from Shabbos to Yantif, from Birchus Kaihanim to Tachanun, to Pesach, to Shavuos, to Svira, everything is in the Shulchan Aruch. Tilchas Avelos, Tilchas Brismila, to Pijana Ben, everything. This is where we go back to, and this is the Ramah and the Shulchan Aruch together that created this beautiful table that in good times and bad times we feast at.
I want to share with you a very important yisait from the Ramah. The very first Ramah in Arachayim starts off, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. This is how he gets right out of the gate of Shulchan Aruch Arachayim. Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit. I place Hashem before me at all times. Who Gadol Batayra, this is a great rule to apply from the Torah. Uva Mailas HaTzadikim, and all of the great Mailas of Tzadikim, the great advantage, the great spirit of Tzadikim, Asher Hochem Lefnei all that Tzadik is. And the Gain says that it's not, it's, this is the entirety of Tzadikim is that they're able to walk with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. They're able to, at every moment of their life, always live with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They keep HaKadosh Baruch Hu before them, at all to- before them at all times. That's what a tzaddik is. That's the definition of a tzaddik. A regular person, we could do things and not have Hashem in front of us at all times. A tzaddik always maintains the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in front of him. When he's walking, when he's talking, when he's sleeping, when he's eating, he's always in the presence of the Rabbi Hashem, and he's always cognizant of this. That's Yiras Hashem. To have a Yira, to have a fear, a trepidation, an awe that I'm standing in the presence of the Rabbi Hashem, and that makes your entire day different. If you fast forward to the end of Arachayim, the very last halacha that the Ramah brings, he speaks about making a simcha on Purim Katan, and he says, "Betayv lev mishte tamid." It's a pasuk that every person that has a good heart, that's that's happy-hearted, mishte tamid, he will always engage in feast in, in happiness. If you look in the Shari Tshuva, one of the Paiskim on the Shulchan Aruch, one of the Nisik Elim, he points out that the first Ramah says the word Tamid, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid, and the last Ramah in Arachayim also, not coincidentally, says the same Lashon of Tamid, the Lev Mishte Tamid. And the understanding is that a Yid has to live with two Tamidim. He always has to have the Shivi Session Lenegdi Samid. He always has to have the Yira Shamayim, the fear that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with me at all times. And at the same time, he also has to have the other Tamid of Simcha. You have to have fear and Simcha at the same time. The Taivlev Mishta Tamid. This is the Ramah's hidden secret that he implanted in Shulchan Aruch Arachayim, that the first din is that you have to have Shivi session like the summit, you have to have Yira constantly, but that's not enough. You need also to have a Tayvlev Mishnah Tamid, you have to have happiness. And it sounds like a contradiction. How do you have Yira and Simcha at the same time? How is it possible? David HaMelech writes, it is possible. David HaMelech writes that you have to have Simcha and you have to have Yira at the same time. It says, Vigilu bir ada. You have to rejoice in trembling. There was a great Gadol, his name was Rabbi Avram Elia Kaplan. He was the Rosh Hashiva in Yeshiva in Berlin. 
in the Hildesheim Rabbiner Seminar in Berlin. He was a Talmud of Slabotka, a tremendous gain. He was a poetic soul. We have much of his poetry. He was, there's songs that are written that were composed by him with his lyrics. And he gives a mushal to how it's possible to have both Yira and Simcha at the same time. Revolbi brings this in the Alishur. He brings a beautiful mushal how a father is dancing with his young child on his shoulders. And there's a feeling of euphoria. You have your young child sitting on your shoulders, you're dancing, maybe it's some chasteira, but there's always the same, at the same moment of fear that you have to be careful because your son might drop. You might drop him. So you have simcha and you have ra'ada at the same time. You have a gila. It's an overwhelming expression of happiness, but at the same time, there is a, an ounce of fear. And this is how a yid is expected to live his life to have the constant yira, I'm in the presence of the Rabbeinu Shalom. But at the same time, to have a simcha, that I'm in the presence of the Rabbeinu Shalom. You can have both. It's possible for a human being to have both yira and simcha at the same time. But this is the essay that the Ramah teaches us, that a yid has to have both tamids. It's said that one person once came to the Vilna Gain and asked for a bracha. And he says, I'll give you a bracha. He says, you should have timidim kesidram. You should have the tamids in the proper order, like we say in davening, timidim kesidram. And the person thanked the girl, but he was embarrassed. He didn't want to ask what exactly he meant. So on his way out, Reb Chaim happened to be standing there, the great Talmud Mubak of the Gain. And they asked him what this cryptic bracha that the Gain gave them was. And he says, very pashat, he says, these two ramaz, the Ramah that says at the end and Shivisashmanakdisamid at the beginning, you should have Timidim Kisidran. These two Tamids should be Kisidran. You should keep them in proper balance. If our lives are always able to balance the Yurashamayim and the Simcha, we shouldn't be depressed by Yura and we shouldn't be too euphoric with Simcha. We have to we have to balance it. We have to temper both with each other and find that perfect synthesis of both, that's what a yid's life is supposed to be. A happy face, but a scared heart. A happy heart, but a scared face. Together, this creates the perfect formula for what a yid is supposed to be. November 9th to November 10th, in the year 1938, was the terrible prelude to the Holocaust. The night of broken glass called Kristallnacht was a night that will remain etched in the Jewish conscience until Mashiach comes. It was a night that hundreds, maybe thousands of shuls were torched, Sifrei Taira, Svarim, a hundred Yidin were killed, thousands were locked up, this was unexpected. This was something that just swept into, into Germany and Austria. And this showed the Jews around the world what exactly was about to, to come, Rahman Litzan, very soon. And a fascinating part of the, this night of Kristallnacht, which really destroyed the most beautiful of shuls and many 
Jewish businesses were shattered and burnt. And the next day there was glass shattered all over the streets. That's why it's called the night of broken glass. But what's not so well known is that the, the Nazis in Machshamam were so despicable that after they had destroyed all the shuls and all the yeshivas, they actually officially took ownership of them. And then they went and they claimed for insurance purposes that they are owed money for all the destructed property. They were the ones that destroyed it, but they claimed they wanted to make billions of dollars off of the Eden. So they, they went and they filed claims for all of these shuls. This is a kiyam of the terrible curse that's brought in the Navi, that haratzachta v'gam yarashta, that sometimes a, a person murders somebody and then they also inherit them. This is what happened. The Nazis destroyed us and then they inherited our money by claiming that it was their loss that was taken. So what happened was that they had met, the Nazi officials had met with insurance adjusters and Rabbonim to ascertain, to assess how much damage was done that night, those two days of November 9th and 10th. And one of the Rabbonim was Rav Monk, one of the great Rabbonim in Europe at the time, and he was asked, he was forced, to come together with a Nazi official to meet up with this insurance adjuster, and the whole thing was a facade. The insurance adjuster knew that he had to play the game or else he would be killed. The Rav knew that he would have to oblige, otherwise he would be killed. And the Nazi just went, you know, went and he was calling the shots. So they were walking through the scorched shul of Rav Monk, and it was, the devastation was terrible. Everything was destroyed. And the Rav was supposed to give an itinerary, give a list of what was in the shul that needed to be replaced or needed to be paid for by the, by the insurance adjusters. So the Rav said there was an Aran HaKadosh there. And it was made of gold and it had silver. And then inside there were 20 Sifrei Taira with Tassin, with Ataras, with Mantles. And the adjuster was, ha was dutifully taking all this information down. And then he said that there was a Menaira over here and there was a Shulchan over there. And there was a beautiful ornament over here. And the Nazi was leading them through. And all of a sudden, they all look up at the ceiling of the shul. And they noticed that there was a light flickering. It was the Ner Tamid. The Ner Tamid was run either electricity or batteries or something. There were lamps, flickering bulbs burning in this Ner Tamid. And for some reason, it was still lit after the entire shul was torched, after everything else was burned up, there was still a Ner Tamid hanging over the arm that was still flashing a bulb. And the Nazi got very angry, said, what is that? And Ramonk said, in German, he says, that's our eternal light. It's the Ner Tamid. It's the eternal flame that a Jew has. And the Nazi was processing this. And he said, I knew it. He says, I knew from the start that as much as we try to annihilate you Jews, we will never ever succeed because you have the eternal flame. 
You have a ner tamid that continues to burn and will burn forever and ever. And we're foolish to try to put that flame out because it will never ever go out. And that's exactly what happened. Millions of Yidin were destroyed. Communities, Kilas Kedoshes decimated. Sifrei Taira destroyed. Svarim destroyed. A million and a half Jewish children murdered. Family life disrupted. Everything was lost. Everything was gone. But somehow, someway, miraculously, we were able to come across the seas to Eretz Yisrael and to America and to other places throughout the world and rebuild. And the light is still burning. The flame is still, is still kindled. After all these years, there's still a Ner Tamid. There's a letter from the Chazaynish that he sent to his book typesetter. Chazaynish obviously was a great author. He authored classics on, on everything. And he had a typesetter, and he was encouraging this typesetter to spend more time learning. And he says, but you should, the main thing is you should always be happy. And he says a line that I think was made into songs. You see it in Eretz Yisrael on walls. Ein kol etzev ba'ilam. There is no sadness in the world for somebody that's able to recognize the light of the lights of truth. There's no sadness for somebody that recognizes the light of the lights of truth. What does that mean, the light of the lights of truth? How do you understand the words of the Chazanish? So nobody knew what it meant until Rav Hutner came along. He wrote in the Pachet Yitzhak on Purim, the following. He says, there's two lights in the world. There's two flames. There's two iris in the world. There's the iris of simcha, of happiness, of good times, when things are going well for a person. Then there are times of sadness in a person's life, when things are not going so well for us, when we have tragedies that we hear about or we experience. And these two lights seem to be very different. There seems to be Ar and Cheshech that are separate. But somebody that recognizes that it's really one light, these two lights are not two lights, they're one. It's an Ar Ha'iris, Shala Emes, that both lights emanate from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it's Yira or it's Simcha, whether it's Etzev or it's rejoicing. These are things that come from the Rebbeinu Everything is from Hashem. Good times, bad times, it's all from Hashem. And when we recognize that, you will never be sad. How can you be sad if you know that the Rabbi Shalom has what's best in mind for you? I believe that that's what the Ner Tamid is. The Ner Tamid is the Arha Arishal Emes. It's the Shivi Session Lenegdi Samid, and it's the Tevle Mishta Tamid. It's the ability to fuse together in our lives the recognition that there's no such thing as bad. Even in the Holocaust, even in the Kristallnacht, where it couldn't, it didn't seem that there's anything worse, but we're able to still see that there's a flickering near Tamid. Even then, HaKadosh Baruch Hu never stopped loving us. And if that's true for the gravest events in Jewish history, it's certainly true for our unique experiences in our own lives. We all have a lot of things that we're dealing with simultaneously. 
We have wonderful experiences. We're able to be zeichet, to have the unique opportunities of learning in yeshiva like we have, davening every day in the yeshiva like we have, involved in men adla chaveira, doing mitzvahs, spending time with friends, with family, dancing, having experiences like we're having this evening, a beautiful kumzitz with beautiful music and rabbeim and chevra and ruach. And then sometimes we have times that are, are tragic and are very sad and are, are personally very hard to, to deal with. The sight of the Ramah that we could take on his yard site is that it's all one. The Tamid of the Simcha and the Tamid of the Etzev, of the Shvi Session Lenegdi Samid, the serious times in life, the Yira times of life, and the happy times of life, they're not different, they're the same. And the sooner that we're able to recognize this, the sooner the Ner Tamid inside will flicker brighter. And we'll be able to get through every single day of our life, every moment of life, whether it's good or bad, without any etzev, being able to understand that you're with me, whatever life brings me, I'm not afraid because you're holding my hand, you're with me, I love you, there's simcha. Even in the deepest of despair, I will always find a way to rejoice in you.